Hi there, my name's Jane Anderson and this is the Jane Anderson Brand You Show. It's the podcast for experts who want to have greater impact, influence and income for their businesses and careers. As experts, we know that people buy from people and work with people who they know, who they like and who they trust. So I'm so glad you're here because it's that time again now to really amplify how you show up in the world. Hi there and welcome to today's podcast interview. I can't wait to interview our very special guest. But before I do, I wanted to give you a little bit of context and background about this series. So this series is a program called Courage in a Crisis. We are in the thick of the COVID-19 pandemic that has swept across the world. And I don't know about you, but I've found that I've been working with a lot of experts in their field. This is the time to be able to really tap into their expertise and to get them to share with us what we need to do during these times in the context of their expertise. We've been talking to people who are experts in health and well-being, in leadership, in transformational change, in mindset, dealing with pressure. So all these experts in their space, I've asked them to come on board, chat with me, tell me what do we need to do, particularly during these times. So I want to introduce to you our very special guest today. Our guest is obsessed with helping leaders create a shift into being a better version of themselves. He understands that leaders need to make sense of and evolve with the ever-changing complexity that businesses face. He does this work by holding the space for leaders and teams he works with, He supports them on their journey to grow into the potential and the possibilities that each of them have, both individually and collectively. He knows when leaders need to focus on doing and being better, and particularly for people and organizations and to help them thrive. He's known as an expert in building capability. He does one-on-one coaching, team facilitation, organization-wide initiatives, and he spent more than 20 years working with organization and their leaders, delivering operational and organizational development and change programs. And our guest has worked with some of the most renowned organizations, particularly with Shell, the West Australian government, and Santos. He's also the CEO of the Deering Group, one of Australia's leading organizations in leading organizational transformation and capability through change. He holds the space for others and it's done through a unique blend of humility, humanity, authenticity, and kindness. Please welcome my very special guest today, Andrew Deering. Andrew Deering. Welcome, Andrew. Yay. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Nice to meet you. So I have to share with you. So Andrew and I have known each other for a very long time. Andrew was Mm. a victim in one of my training courses many years ago, back when I think I was delivering some productivity training. Andrew was the head of capability for an organization for energy company. So we're both based in Brisbane, but we're not sitting next to each other because we're in isolation, obviously. Yes. And we're still friends. He survived one of my training sessions and our training programs (laughs) and we've uh, stayed good buddies since. And so I feel super privileged and excited to have you on the show today, Andrew. Thanks for jumping on. That's a treat, Jan. I didn't just survive, but you actually helped me (laughs) do much better than I was doing at the time. So it was wonderful and it's been wonderful ever since. 
Oh, it's great. Well, in the journey that I guess we both have had since we spoke last, or not mm. spoke last, but since we worked together many, many moons ago, mm. today sitting here we have our own practices and we're on a podcast mm. having a chat. You have done some extraordinary work. Can you tell us for the benefit of everyone a bit about your business and you've got the Deering Group and Andrew Deering and tell us all about you've got a really interesting business. So I'd love for you to share a bit about that and how it all works and who you help. So four and a half years ago, I left corporate life because I'd found myself in a place where I needed something different. And I also saw the opportunity to work with a lot of organizations rather than just one. And I have to admit, there was a certain conversation I'm going to start showing the age now, Jane, so apologies, but probably around 10 to 15 years ago, a certain lady, namely yourself, who kind of said, what are you doing? This, the work can be used in lots of places. Uh, you are one of the key catalysts that began this. So I'm very thankful for your words, which helped begin this journey. It was an important part of it. So the Deering Group is a group of people who I get the joy of working with. And our work is really about helping organizations do people better. And that's a nice big statement. What does that mean? Well, particularly we work with organizations, helping them understand the kind of capabilities they need inside the organization and the kind of frameworks and processes and skilling requirements they need to be truly effective. We have a particular bias toward organizations that have a frontline high-risk workforce. I grew up myself swinging a spanner back in the dark old days. So I have this understanding of frontline operations, how organizations work right through to the corporate space. And we do lots of work around building capability frameworks. We help put together approaches or learning solutions that help organizations help or engage with their people better and deliver better outcomes for their people. We do other things. and We've helped build national qualifications and frameworks for industries. So we had a really fascinating time. It's just been an absolute treat and delight. Along the way, I get to meet a swag of people who normally I start off with, you know, the model that I often talk about is that the first step is, you know, having a customer and then they become a client and then they become usually over time a friend. And the relationship doesn't deter from the fact that we do great work together. Kind of like, you know, the journey we've been on where I'm friends and also I'm very thankful for the how you help me and how I watch you help others. So that's the Deering Group. We do stuff all over the country. We've done stuff overseas as well. It's been a ball. The Andrew Deering piece was where a lot of conversations I was having with folk where we'd have to chat and as people get to know me, often we'd have conversations that go beyond just the how you're going, last cup of tea. We get into deeper conversations and people are enjoying that aspect of the capability that I have myself. So then a business or an opportunity grew out of that, which is me doing mentoring and coaching for people, helping senior leaders, particularly, you know, I have a real bias again to the resource sector more broadly, but that's yes. not where we're stopping. We're actually sort of moving out of that too because the lessons and the, I guess, the approach is useful wherever, anywhere organizations are doing work. And that's been really good fun. That's been new. But it really hasn't because I've probably been doing this most of my life now. It's just kind of recognizing it in a way and having a lot of fun with organizations, helping the leaders. I guess the biggest comment I'd make is that work is all about helping leaders get out of their own way because they have the most amazing people doing the most amazing stuff and usually they're getting in their own way. And the greatest shadow we can ever cast is when we hop in front of our own light. So part of this is how do I help them hop out of the way of the light and just let it shine. So that's a bit about the stuff we do. You do incredible work, Andrew, and that's why I really wanted to get you on because I've seen it firsthand. I've been, I've worked closely with teams that you've led in the past and seen the impact that you have, and particularly around 
innovation and change and doing things differently, doing things better yeah. and leading the way. I remember sitting in your office one day and you're going, hey, I'm doing this presentation. You want to see what I'm doing? And you were showing me, it was a presentation in Prezi, I think, when Prezi was yeah. first created. I was like, wow, how cool is this? And you're always so leading edge. Like you're always looking at what's new, what could be different, what could be better. But at the same time is totally human-centric. So mm. what can we create a change for someone in a team or a leader in, at an organisational level? Which leads me to this, which is you have a new book out, which is very exciting, called Create the Shift. Yay, you're a published author. Zoom, zoom. Incredible is that? And look at the size of it. Look how hefty <laughs> that is. Holy moly. has been hiding inside of you for years and here it is. And it's yes. book one. Like there's a whole series of these coming, right? Correct. Absolutely. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, book one. And I must say, Jane, when my wife first saw that, she was quite disturbed that this was the first of, so she's forgiven me since. Book one. <laughs> book one. What are you talking about? You mean you're going to do more? Yes. Are you crazy? Yes. That's okay. Andrew, I would love for you to share, you share a really powerful personal story about your own shift. I mean, like, mm. I want to talk quite a bit about this because I think it's super powerful. So a couple of things is, I guess, first of all, you've got a personal story, which I'd love to tap into, but why the shift? Like, why is your work around the shift and what does the shift mean today? And then I'd love to tap into a bit of, and probably that leads into your own journey and why you know this is so important for people and mm. how you actually do it. But yeah, why the shift? Why the shift and why did you write this book? So I think it harks back to that piece earlier where I talked about working with people because, you know, we talk about working with organisations, really it's nothing more than a bunch of people. But working with people and helping them get out of the way of their own light. Now, the shift conversation for me was something that was, because there's a lot of words around that are, you know, you play the bingo games in business where you kind of pivot and say, I'm not going to dismiss those words, but they just felt less real. For me, creating a shift is something that recognises that is important, but is also significant. You know, so a pivot and things like that, I think about a ballerina spinning and doing a pivot, like it's quick, it's easy, it's fast. Maybe there's a lot of work in it, but it's still fast. Shifting's harder work. It takes a while. There's effort in there. And often as well, just to play that analogy a little further, if we move house or we shift, we often get a hand because doing that shift by yourself is incredibly hard, if not impossible. Getting yes. Often when we are shifting, we need a hand to do that shift. So part of it is helping you create that, but also getting the help to create that. And this book was written in the sense of for helping people to go on the journey with themselves. So I guess I've written it in a very personal way. That's how I talk to folk. And it's almost as if I'm there talking to you through the different chapters in the conversation. There's some activities, there's notes. There's, it's about helping you have the conversation that you need to have with yourself. So that was why the shift. It was a really important thing. And I think recognizing that it's hard work. But it's yeah. good work yes. and it's important work and you know, you're going from wherever you are to wherever you need to be and that is more than just a pivot. It's more than just a repositioning. It's a shift, yeah. a significant change. There's so much here for us to talk about in terms of COVID and how we make a shift but mm. what was the shift or shifts that were significant for you? You talk a little bit about them in the book but I'd love for you to share because I think this is where really people sort of get that context of, you know, have you actually done something like this yourself? Yeah, I've had many of opportunities to move house inside <laughs> myself and to redecorate and refurnish. So, yeah, the big tickets for me through life have been 
and particularly in the last, as an adult context, or even as a kid, there was a constant evolution there. The big pieces were, some of them were things like, and you'll see it inside the very intro of it, where I've had a couple of significant events. One of them was where my back failed me. And people kind of go, yep, I've got a sore back too. Yeah, it's a touch more than that. I couldn't walk more than 100 metres without crying. Every morning waking up, getting out of bed, I was in tears. It was just agony. And for those medical folk, my back had a severely strained disc and the disc at the L5S1 was completely gone, so it was bone rubbing on bone. So that was massive. And luckily, I met a cracking doctor, got a great outcome. I've never had a piece of pain since. But you know, part of that was also the awareness of going through that time and the pain of that. I remember laying on the hospital bed and my son back then, gosh, was two or three, isn't he, a little fella. But Edward sort of bouncing around, and which wasn't necessarily good after spinal surgery, but uh-huh. bouncing around and, and the kids were talking about something and they made a comment which was limiting. And I sort of said, hey, you can be anything you want to be. Your choice is yours. And as I was laying in the hospital, it kind of triggered that while I say that, do I truly believe that and live that? And I saw in my own story that I wasn't, that I had songs to be sung that I wasn't currently singing and I needed to give it a crack and I needed to step out of there. So that was probably one of them. So that involved, at that point, changing organization's career to a degree, stepping into a brand new job, taking a $80,000 pay cut just to step across into something that I felt like I wanted and needed to do, which mm-hmm. led to amazing opportunities and amazing people and lots of fun. But in that moment, mm-hmm. like this is whole creating a shift. It's hard work. My yeah. wife at the time, I will happily say, was wondering if I'd lost my mind. And to a degree I had, and that was okay. I needed to just trust in what I fundamentally believed. And since then, I've had a few, like leaving corporate life where the time people go, what are you leaving for? What's wrong? You know, the things are tough out there. Why would yeah. you want to leave? But I just couldn't stay. I just right. knew that I needed to create another shift. I knew there was another opportunity, another conversation. I needed to have another song that needed to be sung and explored. And I think I've got a whole series of those along the way, be it corporate, be it personal, health-wise, like even that whole back thing put me into a space afterwards where I did got slack again and, you know, I've been working very hard even recently again to continue to get healthier and more, yeah. I guess, vibrant and alive. And, yeah, look, it's there are probably a couple of the big ones, Jane. Yeah, so you actually have lived this, and <laughs> not just in your personal life, but you have also, you know, you've been the head of capability for large organisations and rolled this out, therefore, in other organisations. So, you know, yes. your ability to really help people make significant shifts to go from yes. not just feel a bit better to go from here to here and how to do that. So essentially a transformation and what's the sort of secret to be able to, to do that. And you've covered that. You know, what I love about this is especially the size of this, there's a lot of work that we have to do to sometimes be ready for that. What I wanted to ask you today, I think there are really three areas that have stood out for me in your book, particularly at the moment in amongst mm. this courage in a crisis and COVID-19 and the pandemic, there are three things that stood out to me. The first one I wanted to ask you about is one that I guess what I see people and comes up for people at the moment. There's a people going to overwhelm, stress, I don't know what to do, particularly if they've got their own businesses or leaders within organisations. And the first one, and you just touched on it before, which was around belief. You talk in one of your chapters about our limiting beliefs are simply that, and you talk about different types of limiting beliefs. But what I wanted to ask you was at the moment, what do you notice perhaps with people that you're working with at the moment 
in this crisis, what are some of the limiting beliefs that stand out to you and what are you noticing? And what do people do if they find themselves coming up against some of those limiting beliefs? What are they best to do if they're trying to create this massive shift in a short period of time? So underneath all of this conversation, I guess I have to call it, I know you have a similar belief, people are truly amazing. And the limitations that we have are the ones that you talked about, the ones that we choose to put in ourselves. And then there's obviously some that are context, but largely we live inside our own box and it's our choice to create the box. So at the moment what I'm seeing a lot of is, so I wrote a post not long back which is about the news and I think the biggest challenge I'm seeing with people is just the noise that is coming from two different things. One, the news, the media, just the challenge and the negative and the, the not helpful, the stories that are being told that may not be true but people are imbibing and, and owning. That isn't their story, but it's a story that they're choosing to carry. And the other challenge, I think, is similar to flip the word to new, is we've just had three years' worth of change in about three months. Yeah. So the compression, this conversation we've talked about a few times, this new normal conversation, new normal happens every day. The Mm -hmm. difference is we've compressed new normal into three years, into three months. That's incredibly uncomfortable. So the things that I think I'm seeing is a lot of it is this outer beliefs that are being impressed upon people and they're allowing themselves to own them on behalf of and the work we're doing with that is with people is around well the simple process i do there's a couple here but one of them is for every belief that you have and part of this is actually having enough time to just pause reflect have a conversation with yourself and listen to the things that you're saying the self-talk you're having and when you hear a sentence write it down have the time spend some time each day how am I feeling? How am I thinking? Write down whatever comes out. And you'll find amongst it, especially in the last window and still now, there are going to be some fear-based conversations that you're having with yourself. And that's okay. That's normal. That's natural. Don't beat yourself up. That's pointless as well. That's okay. So you pull that conversation out. And actually, the work then becomes the questions that you can ask about that. So this statement, whatever it might be, is it real? Is it true? Where's the data? So rather than just sky is falling, world is ending, is this real, is this true, where's the data? When people do that simple conversational piece with themselves or when I work with them, they realise that they're just playing a story that somebody else has written and they're just being a character in it rather than writing their own story because largely we have these showreels that play all the time that we just choose to be a character in rather than actually grabbing the showreel and playing it for ourselves. That's probably one of the big ones is around is it real? Is it true? Where's the data? Yeah, I love that. I think you've got more eyeballs on computers and therefore social media in particular at the moment. So massive. We've got double the consumption of content. We haven't seen data consumption like this since 2012, which was actually off the back of GFC. So the data we're seeing, so that makes sense, is that people are consuming more information. So we're at risk of increasing our limiting beliefs, listening to stories that may or may not be true, not even questioning them. I think you touch on really something valuable there is, is it helpful? And if it's not helpful, then <laughs> spend your time on something else, which is some of the other things that you talk about. So that's super helpful. The uh, bit that sits behind there too, Jane, just to close just for the people yeah, listening. Sure. Is it real? Is it true? Where's the data? If it isn't, then what are you going to change to? So if that belief isn't useful and it's not true, what's the belief that is? One of the things that I see a lot with people who get somewhat evangelical about getting rid of limiting beliefs is 
recognizing that most of the limiting beliefs are there for a reason. They're actually mm. to protect us, to keep us safe. I know you've talked to really clever people like Dr. Amy Silver and psychological safety. Mm. We put these layers inside ourselves to keep ourselves safe. Yes. If you tear them all down, you're leaving it wide open for further or other. It's about looking at one and then being conscious about the shift to another conversation. Being mindful that the reason it was there isn't because it doesn't love you, it's actually because it does. The limiting yeah. belief can often be about in service to you. So be mindful of that, challenge it, and then replace it in a useful way. That's so valuable because how often do we just, it's easy to just jump on the treadmill and just follow what's being said. Yep. So, Absolutely. And I think it takes a lot of mindfulness at the moment to really be aware that that's even happening. One of the other key things that you talked about that I wanted to ask you about that may be useful for people is at the moment you've got, I don't know about you, but I find there's probably two ends of the spectrum that I'm talking to people. There's one end of the spectrum that I say, how are you going? And they say, I'm flat out. I wish I had more hours in the day. And then there's others going, oh, I've got all this time. I'm updating my website and I'm twiddling my thumbs and I've got, there's a bit of Netflix in there too, you know. Um, <laughs> So, I don't know, people seem to be at either end of the spectrum a bit at the moment and I think this is such a valuable time to take advantage of regardless of where you are on that spectrum to work out where am I best to spend my time. And there's a chapter that you cover in here quite extensively which is about investing your time, don't spend it. So I'd love for you to elaborate a bit more on what you mean by that and then secondly is how does that apply or what advice would you have for people at the moment on what is a good use of their time? Yeah. So I think, look, in that simple conversation there about invest your time, don't spend it. I used to have a lot of like big investments and other things as well along the way. Mm -hmm. One of the things I learned was whatever you do, be mindful of what you have and how you can capitalize on it best. Mm -hmm. So that's where the story about invest, don't spend comes from because I see Lots of people. And look, there's times that I do too, so I'm not saying I'm in any, any way perfect. And, but it is about being conscious of the time you have and how do you use it wisely. How do you invest it in a way that will bring returns? Right now, amongst all this complexity, and I chuckled, it is so easy to sit and just watch Netflix, Dan, Hey You, whatever you got. you got, man, there are so many things you can be plugging into and just watching stuff that is distracting. But is it a great use of your time? Is it an investment or are you just spending it? And I get that there's a lot of tension and it is important occasionally to jump on Netflix and just turn one's brain off and distract ourselves, yeah. but yeah. not the whole time. So for me at the moment, it's about depending where people are, if they're crazy busy, it's about making sure that they're, the risk there is using their time to make sure they're managing themselves well. Because amongst the busyness and the fullness, well, it's all, you know, there's also some subtle things that can happen there that aren't helpful. And I've seen this with some people. It's a, probably a poor conversation that I'm using, but it's, it's almost like a survivor guilt. Like I'm doing exceptionally well and others aren't. I feel guilty about that. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a conversation you need to manage. Like, so part of their world, my conversation with them is make sure you're taking the time to be thankful and the gratitude, but don't own that belief that's unhelpful. But their investment of time is making sure that amongst the busyness, they're not forgetting about the whole person. There's more to us than just work, way more. So how's the family? How are your friends? How's your health? How's your spiritual awareness? How's your mental well-being? Being busy is not, and full from a calendar perspective, is great and can also be quite problematic as well. On the other end of the spectrum, you talk about those who are feeling like the whole carpet's been pulled out from underneath them or the rug's been pulled out. There's nothing wrong with kind of feeling a little bit crappy about that. That's okay. 
there's nothing bad about that. That's a natural thing. What the work though is, so what's the things that I need to do? And often in that space, actually on both sides of that polarity, one of the things that can often happen is overwhelm. At one level, it's too much. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Coupled with a whole bunch of other stuff. The other end, it's like, well, where do I begin? So again, the conversation I have with people, it's a simple process. It's called the one thing. And it's really as simple as what's the one thing I can do right now that will make a difference. And if you're unsure what the one thing is, we have inside the book, the first chapter talks about life and the elements of life. We work with people and say, when you look at this, the wheel of these elements, which one's the most significant for you right now? What's the one thing you want to be able to shift right now? If it's work-related, great. If it's health-related, great. If it's what's the one thing? Or if you have more capacity, out of these six elements, what's one thing in each of these quadrants that you're going to be working on? Don't think about the 25 things you've got to do, the one thing. Mm-hmm. And when you're working on the one thing and that's underway or it's done, then find the next one thing. Because I think both ends of those spectrums, Jane, have an overwhelm, but it's just a different context of overwhelm. Yeah. They're both overwhelmed in completely different ways, one with an abundance of time that they don't want and one with no time and abundance of opportunity that they struggle to manage. How do you actually think about putting your world back together in a way that's useful in the one thing? And it is about that investment, you know, and every decision is working through the conversation of, is this going to yield a reward that's substantial and useful in how I move forward in my one thing? I love that. I think there's two things I'm taking away there is at either end of the spectrum, or even if you're halfway between the two, some days I'm really busy and some days I'm not, but I love that focus and centering because it is really easy to go into overwhelm at the moment. There's so much to do. I know I have days where I go, I can see what I have to do, but I just need to work faster. You know, sometimes you know you're trying to get to it all, but really trying to, what's the saying? If you're trying to chase two rabbits, you'll never get one. So you've got to just go, okay, I'll hone in here and focus on, I love that on the one thing. And then the other thing I'm taking away is the, distinction between overwhelm and opportunity because in overwhelm I can't do anything or I feel almost paralyzed so I'll watch Netflix because I don't know what to do and I'll just wait for this whole thing to blow over. I think that's easy to fall into because you just go, I'm paralyzed. I don't know what to do. I feel like I haven't got people, the resources, the network around me so I can't see opportunities and so I go into just my overwhelm. But equally I think there's those who see all the opportunities and go, I'm trying to do everything and trying to keep up to go, okay, you're going to send yourself into overwhelm pretty quickly so what's the one thing that will create the greatest shift for you? And I love that around, well, what aspect of that do you need to create? I think, Jane, as you're talking, one of the models that I often draw with people And it helps when this one thing thought is, you know, if you think about the value that you offer to people and the values that you hold as one axis, and if you think about the purpose of why you're here, what you're meant to do, at the bottom of that, the smallest point is about spending time because you're not actually adding value. It's not necessarily aligned with your values and you're probably not on purpose or on task. On the other end, where you are truly, so when it gets hard, what's my purpose? What's the value? What are the values I hold? Anchor into those things because when you are on purpose, when you are adding value, that's when you're going to find that the investment yields the greatest results. Yeah, I remember seeing that. I just put some page for those if you're thinking about having a look at some of Andrew's work. That exact model he's walking through is on page 91. And I love where you talk about, yeah, the spend is down here, but this is where the invest happens is this lack controlled discontent, which is like this lowest level here through to abundance, independence and flourishing. 
So I'm mindful of time and I'm watching the clock. So I have one last thing I want to ask you, Andrew, because I know you're super busy or let's you're say right. in all the opportunity at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something that I really like. One of my favourite chapters in your book is Chapter 10 and you talk about the feet you sit at matter. This was such a powerful piece of work that you talk about and particularly at the moment. And in this chapter you give examples of great leaders this is essentially who are you listening to? Who's teaching you? Who you talk about? It's kind of like whose feet do you sit at? It's like being in a classroom. It's like a child in the classroom and the teacher's up here and, you know, you're all sitting listening to the teacher. We have really interesting leaders in our world at the moment that the world listen to. And then we talk a lot about influence on this platform. And so I'm really curious to find out from you Particularly at the moment, we talked about listening to the news, listening to the media, all those types of things. But if you're a leader, our job is to make sure that the community that we lead, us as leaders and teachers, educating and communicating to help people through this crisis. The question is, is who are you listening to? So when you're working with leaders, because you do a lot of this work, what type of advice do you have for them when they're going through a crisis, particularly in the energy sector, which you come from, There's crises that happen a lot. So what advice do you have for leaders when going through a crisis and a shift about the feet that they sit at, who they listen to? Yeah, look, that was beautiful, Jane. And it really is such a significant and important thing. So the one comment I'd make at the front of this is if anybody's kind of going, well, I don't sit at anybody's feet, I hate to tell you, but you are. We always are. There's always people who are influencing us. If you're not mindful of your influencer, I'd be more concerned about being cognizant of your influencer. Because if you have none, if you are not conscious of who you are deliberately sitting at the feet of, you're probably sitting at the feet of the media, and that's not a healthy place to be. And I think this medium, what we're doing right now, there are such amazing tools out there right now. Never before have we had the ability to access such amazing people with such Mm -hmm. wisdom. So for people to be able to sit and listen to the podcast series you've created around particular things, and like with yours in particular, you talk about each one has a very specific agenda. So what I do do with leaders is it's about, first of all, understanding where this their warm or hot spot is. Part of it is a conversation we have, but I also look to the leaders who create such amazing work, be it a book, be it a podcast, be it a TED Talk. There's all these people. So it doesn't have to necessarily be the figurative person we go and sit at the feet of. It's the... So it doesn't have to be the literal person, it's the figurative person or persons. Yeah. So if I want to know stuff of the sort of work you do, if I want to know about that, I'm coming to Jane Anderson, I'm going to listen to a podcast. I'm going to have to spend time near or with her. Mm. Um, you know, similarly, if you want to talk about vulnerability, I'm going to go and listen to Brené Brown stuff because she rocks her. You know, and we can name a whole bunch of other people. If I want to learn how to lead or speak better, I might go and talk to a Matt Church. Like, there's all these people who are all around us who are amazing leaders who we can access and more easily than ever before. So with mm-hmm. the people I'm dealing with when I'm talking about the feet you sit at matters, I think the first thing is, as I said before, being mindful that you are always sitting at someone's feet and there is somebody who you are choosing to lead you. The first part is becoming conscious and accepting that that's true. The yes. second part then is becoming very deliberate around, if you go back to that again, the elements of life, which aspect do you want to work with right now? Again, risk of overwhelm, let's not get carried away. Let's think of one thing. What's the one thing? Working with that individual around this one thing, what's the goal, what's the agenda, what do you want to achieve? Who can help you enable that? I don't know at all. I'm really comfortable with the fact that I don't know at all. I have a bunch of clever people, people like yourself, who are really astute in the spaces that they exist in. So 
for me, I have these feet that I get to sit at depending upon what I need. So for the leaders, I offer the same thing. And I'll often introduce them to people or I'll give them a book or I'll introduce to a podcast because I know that I can't do it all. And it is about, as a leader, I think the other, the flip side of this conversation is too often as leaders collectively, we try to be everything or we try to be the filler of the cup at all times. There's such amazing resources. So the people in your organization, how are you introducing them into the wisdom that you're, you're accessing as well? How are you helping them? become more because, again, my model is, I guess, based on a servant leadership model. The more you serve your team, the more success you will have in your organisation. Well, I think that chapter is so valuable at the moment because it's easy to default into you might be listening to, up until now, you might have been maybe more conscious of who you're listening to or maybe because you're physically in workplaces and people are sharing things and you are physically listening, you're not in physical isolation. So you've got some of those things in your space a little bit more. But when you're in isolation, you're jumping online, you're listening to things and quite often that means a Facebook feed or a LinkedIn feed, which some of those are helpful and some of them are definitely not. So making conscious choices about what you're taking in and being mindful that it does create a narrative and it does create an adoption of a mindset of to either go, well, I'm either playing above or below the line and how do I be a change maker? You know, it's easy to talk about change agents, but I think leaders are under more pressure now to be change makers. So, so helpful, super valuable. If people want to jump on and learn more about your work, Andrew, if they want to get a copy of the book, where would they be best to go? Best place to go, andrewdeering.com. We are going to do a, with this podcast, there'll be a little link where people can get access to the one of the things we have in the book, which is the six elements of life, a little mm-hmm. tool that might help them understand what they're working toward, what goals they want, what's the mm-hmm. one thing for them. So that's also something I'm happy to jump on there they, the books there all the contact details etc all there and if people want to connect with you on linkedin and places like that are they welcome yep. to they absolutely i hang out there and i try to uh, offer conversation there that is useful to people much the same as you do it's that how do we help build people up and enable them to be more successful yeah. so yes love right. to connect with people Terrific. Well, I would encourage everyone to jump on, have a read of Andrew's book, make sure you reach out to him on LinkedIn and take a leaf out of here and look at what you can do, particularly at the moment to help not only what I love about this is for leaders, we're quite often attention out and trying to help other people through this shift. But this is also take some time to really look at the internal shift you need to make within your own self to work out how am I going to help other people through this. So if you can do that, I think you're well set up to be able to lead through this crisis and have the courage to really step into it. So thank you so much for jumping on today, Andrew. It's been such a pleasure to have you and we'll see you again in hopefully on the other side in the future, whatever that might be, and we'll love to hear about your next book when it's done. Cheers, Jane. Been a pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you.